We're in a study, and we've been in this study for uh, several weeks. I, I would like to tell you how many, but I can't, so uh, eight or nine weeks. And, and we're going to be in it for a few more weeks, but I believe that it's, it's something that God wants us to learn. What we're calling it is normal Christianity. And uh, if you've been here before, you know that what I'm calling normal and what the Bible calls normal is those things that conform to Jesus, those things that look like Jesus. And if it doesn't look like Jesus, if it doesn't act like Jesus, then it's not normal. No matter how many Christians do it, no matter how long the church has done it, if Jesus didn't do it and it wasn't a part of, of what He did, then it's not normal, it's abnormal. And so we've been, we've been looking at that, and we've, been, we've really been looking for the past, I guess, five weeks or so, at some characteristics and some attributes in Jesus' life that weren't normal. They were normal every day. That it was just a part of who He was. And there, there are things that, that we struggle with, every one of us. But if we want to be normal and we want to be like Jesus, then these are things that have to develop in our life. And I'm going to share one today that uh, I'll guarantee you at some point in this sermon, I will offend everybody in here, okay? So I'm just telling you up front, please don't turn me off, okay? I I'm going to say some things that are hard. Uh, I'm not mad at anybody. I struggle with them too, okay? So I'm, I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching, God's preaching to us, okay? He just chosen to use me. Uh, but I'll guarantee you, you'll probably want to click me off and, 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 and call me a name. So that's okay. I don't mind. But uh, what, the, what I want to talk about today is the quality of compassion. Jesus was compassionate. Everything he did was done out of a compassion for us. The songs we sang this morning... Uh, it were just they were perfect. I mean, it, it, it just led us up to this this point. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna pray, and then I'm just gonna preach, and the chips are gonna fall where the chips will, and then that's just the way it is. Okay, Amen. Oh me. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your love. Thank you for uh, your compassion. Lord, your your word says that your mercies are new every day. Your compassion is new every day. Great is your faithfulness. Lord, I pray this morning that you would open our hearts, open our ears where we can hear you speak. And I pray you'd change us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As an American society, we have allowed fear, and we are allowing fear to control how we think, how we act, and it's obvious from the upcoming elections who we elect to be our leaders. Fear has taken control of our nation. It's taken control not just of people who don't know Jesus, but it's taken control. It may have taken control of the church worse than it has the average person that, that, that doesn't go to church. We're so afraid that we'll lose our jobs. We're so afraid that our socioeconomic way of living uh, will, will, will cease if we don't stop illegal immigration. That we don't even see the plight of the people, the men and the women and the children who are willing to die to get a chance to improve their life and to improve their living conditions. Now, I believe 
that our borders need to be secure. So I don't want you to misunderstand me. I believe our borders need to be secure. I need, I believe that if you are from a foreign country, you need to be able to prove who you are before you're allowed to come into this country. Okay, I believe that. I'm a conservative in that area. But at the same time, we've allowed fear to take hold of us, and we're willing to do things that have never been done or to consider things that have never been done. And by the way, unless you are 100% Native American this morning, every one of you are immigrants, okay? My people came from Scotland. They were immigrants. They had nothing. They came here because there was a promise. There wasn't an assurance. It was a hope. It was a dream that they could have a better life than where they came from. And so what's happened is we've, we've, we've become so afraid of terrorism that we've turned our back on the terrified and the starving and the hopeless human beings who, who are fleeing war, they're fleeing persecution, they're fleeing famine. And folks, we, for some reason, we can ignore their lifeless bodies as they wash ashore in the Mediterranean and turn our backs and do nothing. We've become fearful and we've become suspicious of people who may not act like we act. I want you all to understand something. You can drive 50 miles north or south of here and people won't act or think like you think or act like you act. People are different. And if you, if you, if you visit the, the cities of this nation, you will find people are not alike. But what God has done is God has taken a nation which was a melting pot, and he has, he has taken the, the sum of the parts and the whole is greater. He's made a, a nation that is a shining light. But we've become, all of a sudden we've become fearful. In other words, terrorism is working. You do understand that. The terrorists don't believe they can take over. They want to create fear. That's why they're called terrorists. They want to create terror. They want us to, to stop going anywhere, stop going to the football games, stop going to places where there are crowds. They want us to huddle in our houses and be afraid. That's what a terrorist wants. But we've become fearful and we've become suspicious of people. And what happens if they don't act like we act or they don't think like we think or they don't believe like we believe, what we tend to do is we insulate ourselves from them. And listen, the history of this nation will prove that you cannot build a wall and keep terror out. We as individuals have to stand up and we have to be alert and we have to be vigil. That's the only way to protect our freedoms. But what happens is when we, we find people or we find a group of people that we don't understand, we don't believe like they believe, we, we fear them. And what happens over time as we fear them we, we tend to demonize them. Now this is what happens in the political campaign, in case you haven't noticed. Okay? It doesn't matter if you're Democrat or Republican, Libertarian or whatever else flavor's running. What you do is you demonize your opponent. You make him look to be the worst he can be. And when you demonize somebody, you begin to despise them. And then you make them objects of contempt. And what happens is the church then becomes just like the rest of the world. We fear, 
and we think and act like the average person out there in the world. Although Jesus has called us to be normal. So my question this morning is, where has the compassion of the church gone? Where's our compassion, folks? Where's our Christ-likeness? God sent Jesus to change our world out of his compassion for all of us. Not just for a group of people. He, he sent Jesus out of compassion. Folks, the world was and the world is, apart from Christ, hopeless and helpless. There is no hope, there is no help apart from Jesus Christ. It hasn't changed, it will not change. Jesus is the only hope. All of us were helpless, all of us were hopeless, all of us were lost in our sins, but God felt compassion. There's a passage in Psalm 78, verse 38, and it starts like this. It says, but he, and it's talking about God, and he, this, this is the context of this is, is God's compassion for the nation of Israel, but it can also be taken for us, folks. It says, but he, God, being compassionate, because he was compassionate, he forgave their iniquity. Folks, he didn't just forgive their sin and their rebellion. He forgave their iniquity, their bent, twistedness towards sin. And he didn't destroy them. And often he restrained his anger. And he did not arouse his wrath. And thus he remembered that they were but flesh. A wind that passes does not return. You ever think of yourself as a wind that passes but never returns? No, we think we're going to live forever. Folks, it was God's compassion. Jesus came to show us the compassion of God. And he came to show it to us in real time. In day-to-day, everyday living. He came to show us what it looked like in high definition as well. Not just what we've heard about that God's this, but okay, what does it look like? That's what Jesus came to show us. But we who have benefited from the compassion of God, the church, we've reverted back to the way we used to act and the way we used to think Before we embrace that compassion. And we've become intolerant. We've become fearful. We've become prejudiced. Folks, we're not a part of the lost world. They are driven by two things. Fear and survival. And when our lives, when, when, when our way of thinking is driven by fear and survival, we have reverted back to what we were before Jesus. Normal Christianities live, normal Christians live out compassion. Average Christians live by fear. So which one is guarding and guiding you this morning? Jesus lived out of compassion. He didn't live out of fear. He, 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 he was willing to reach out. He was willing to step into, to approach, and to meet the needs of the people who, who had, they were messed up. He, he wasn't afraid to wade into it. He wasn't afraid to touch it. 
Folks, Jesus didn't just feel sorrow for them. He didn't just feel sympathy. He didn't feel just pity. See, compassion is different than pity. You can look at a bad situation. You, you can see those, those uh, Italian soldiers as, or those Greek soldiers as, as they take those lifeless bodies out of the sea over there, and you can feel pity, and you can turn away and do nothing. That's what pity does. Compassion compels you to act. Compassion is different. Jesus did not pity us, or every one of us would still be lost. He was compassionate, folks. He was, he was moved by compassion, and he acted. Compassion is the feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who's stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to change that, to help. Just feeling sympathy and sorrow is not compassion, it's pity. The word is used in Scripture to mean kind-hearted, to be moved with mercy, and to be moved with a great affection. It's to be inwardly disturbed. Have you ever been inwardly disturbed? I mean, to the point where you couldn't sleep, where you, you couldn't eat, where it went for months and months and months, and what you had seen affected you and continue. I'll never forget watching a, uh, a, uh, a news investigation, and it happened to take place in Romania, and I will, they were buying and selling. It was the, the, the sex traffic trade. They were buying and selling children. Okay? Children. And I will never forget this, this investigative team they they couldn't fathom that that was true, and and the person they were talking says, "Oh, you can do it. You can buy a ch- child, a, a a little boy, a little girl, a young lady, a young man, anywhere you want." And they went, and I will never forget. They bought a young lady. I will never forget her face till I die. Okay, they took her to a safe house, set her free. For night, night after night, I would see that face. And the Lord allowed me to be part of, of a prayer team that prayed and, and made a difference. And in and, and, and the church I was in, uh, they trained. And we even had a person that eventually left to work in that ministry in Atlanta. But I, it, it, it forced me to do something. I couldn't just turn my TV off and act like it didn't happen. And folks, when I see the things that are pictured on our television and then I hear the leadership of this nation say the things they say, we have no compassion as a nation. And a nation who has no compassion will get no compassion. Okay, that's just the way it works. Do we open the doors and let everybody in? No, we don't. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying we have some compassion and we act. We do what we can to alleviate uh, suffering. We're not the world's policemen, and we can't solve every problem. But we can solve a lot more. We tend to create problems rather than solve problems. 
Now, compassion drove Jesus to act. It moved him to act. Uh, Mark 6, verse 34 says, When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd. And listen to what it says. And he felt compassion for them. He felt compassion because he saw their helplessness. He saw their hopelessness. He was willing to look at it. Okay? Most of us are not willing to look at it. When it comes on our TV or we see it in the street, we turn our head. We change the channel. Folks, I'm fixed. My eyes can't turn away when I see the lifeless bodies of Syrian refugees wash ashore in Greece because they were willing to get on a rubber raft with the hope that they could get away from war. Yes, there are some terrorists in that group, but the average person there is a daddy who's trying to get his his family, his little babies, his little boys, his little girls to a place where they don't have to huddle in the rubble and hope a bomb doesn't drop on, where they are not afraid that their baby will run out chasing a ball and somebody will shoot them or a bomb will blow up. Or closer to home. What happens when, when they show the pictures of the folks that are, that are trying to, to come across the border in, into Texas and, and, and Arizona? And I have seen this over and over and over. They'll show lifeless bodies of men, women, and children clutching empty water bottles and a little Walmart sack of all their belongings. And we can look away from that. We can turn our TV off, and it doesn't bother us. Those things bothered Jesus. Jesus saw those things. He looked at those things. Folks, it's all around us. We, we don't have to go to Texas and Arizona. We don't have to go to the Middle East. There's hopelessness and helplessness all around us. But we, we turn our heads away from it. We look the opposite way. Jesus refused to turn his head. Instead, he looked at people. He saw people as, as individuals. See, we tend to lump everybody in a group. It's easier to deal with. Now, I'm going to tell you something. When you look into the eyes of somebody that's lost their child, whether they're Syrian, American, Mexican, it's the same look, okay? Whether that child drowned, whether that child was blown apart by a bomb, whether that child was hit by a car, was in an accident, it's the same look. Because the blood that flows in their body is the same color. We are all made in the image of God and in the likeness of God. Jesus saw people. Matthew 9, 36. This is one of, my, this is one of the verses in the Bible that every time I read it, it stops me cold. In, 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 in Matthew 9, 36, Jesus says this, Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them. Because they were distressed and they were dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. There was no one to lead them. And listen to me. He's still the only one who can lead them. We're not going to elect a president who can lead the people. Okay? It's just not going to happen. We are a divided nation. We have been a divided nation for a long, long time. I don't see anybody on the horizon who wants to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. 
All I see are individuals, whether they're Democrats, Republicans, or whatever flavor, they want to put together their little group and you look like us. Folks, this nation can't look like us because this nation is built out of immigrants. People who came from around the world to be a part of the city on the hill. Okay? That's what, that's what the Puritans called it. The city on a hill. The candle. Jesus saw those things. And he, he didn't just see them and walk away, folks. His heart was moved. He didn't just see it every day and become numb to it. His heart was moved. Every time he saw it, his heart was moved. It inwardly disturbed him. It moved him with compassion. Listen to me, God is not interested in how good we are or how many verses in the Bible we know or how many coins we drop in the plate or He's not fascinated with, with, with our personal righteousness and He's not captivated by what we call ourselves as a religious group, folks. This is what gets His attention. Listen to this. It's found in Matthew chapter 9, verse 12 and 13. Jesus says this. He said, it's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I didn't call the righteous, but I called sinners. I desire compassion. I desire hearts that see what's going on around them, and are moved by it, and and then they act as they can. Listen, we don't have the answers to everything. God does. I don't have all the money in the world, but God does. This church is not rich and affluent, but you know what? God is. He's looking for men, and He's looking for women who will see things as He sees them, and not see them as impossibilities but possibilities. Just possibilities. Lord, is it possible? Is there something I can do? Is there something I can do? It may not be much, but can I do something? Can the compassion that, that you had come through me and, and help me to make a difference? When Jesus stepped ashore, in, in, the, in the Gadarene area. And we've talked a little about this over the last few weeks. But when he stepped ashore and that cemetery was up on that steep hill. You know the story. He set, he set a man named De- Legion free from, from a host of demons. It, 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 probably uh, 6,000. Legion wanted to go with Jesus. And Jesus wouldn't allow him to go. But instead he said, I want you to go back to your home. And in fact, in Mark chapter 5, 19, I want you to listen to what he told Legion. He said, go home to your people and report what great things the Lord has done for you. And how he had mercy. The word there is compassion. How he had compassion on you. If you know Jesus this morning, okay, as your Savior, and is your Lord, you have been a recipient of compassion. And if you're here this morning and, and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and your servant, you have been a recipient of His compassion. All He expects us to do is give what we have been given. We're just conduits that carry it. It comes to us on its way to somebody else. Folks, 
We're commanded. Here's a principle that, that you'll find all through Scripture. We are commanded to give what we have, been, what we have received. We're, we are to extend grace. What is grace? It's the favor of God. We're to extend it because of His great compassion and how He extended it to us. We're, we're not just asked to ex- extend it. We are commanded to extend it. But until we begin to see people and to see them in real situations and to see the real needs, instead of looking at it through racial prejudice and social prejudice and nationalistic emotionalism or economic fear, we're not going to extend any compassion. Jesus saw compassion and it welled up in Him. Listen, genuine compassion, wherever it's present, produces an atmosphere pregnant with the possibility for a miracle to take place. I will say that again. I want you to to hear me. Genuine compassion produces an atmosphere that's pregnant with possibilities for miracles. Okay? Because, listen, the human need that's all around us, you and I don't have the answer for. But when I see it, and I can't leave it until I do something to at least make it a little better, Nothing changes. But when that happens, all of a sudden there's a possibility of a miracle taking place because all God's looking for is an open door to step through. And you and I are those open doors. One of the reasons, folks, we don't see very many miracles is because we don't have very much compassion. We don't really have compassion for somebody that's sick or somebody that's suffering, or somebody that's downtrodden, or somebody that's discouraged or or diseased. We feel sorry for them. We feel pity. But we're not moved inwardly. And as we're moved inwardly, we're not forced at God. This is not the way you created this to be. I've, I've shared this story with a few people in my small group, but I was ministering to a young lady. And she had demonic issues, okay? And I'm, I'll say no more. I'll go no farther than that. But she had them, all right? And she, we, we, were, we were ministering to this young lady, and all of a sudden she slipped down on the floor and she began to snatch handfuls of her hair out. Beautiful young lady. And all of a sudden something welled up in me. I didn't know. I thought it was anger, but it was compassion. Okay, and it was a it was God kind of compassion, and 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 God just welled up in me, and I thought I've got to do something and stop this because this is somebody's little girl, and that could be my little girl, or that could be my granddaughter, and all I can all I can remember is the Holy Spirit gave me what to say. I said it. It stopped in Jesus' name. It stopped. She got back up in her chair. And I'd love to tell you that everything went well from there on, but it didn't. Okay, it took a long time of ministry. But the thing is, that stopped. There, I, saw a need, I saw the situation. It was hopeless and helpless. I couldn't do anything about it, humanly speaking. But God could. My heart was moved, and I, I couldn't just turn my head. I couldn't walk out. I couldn't go, dial 911. Okay, I couldn't let somebody else take care of it. He had put it in my path. And folks, that's what God does. 
the body of Christ is, is famous for her chatter of what we should and could and, and, and might do. The problem is, is, is most churches refuse to act. Most Christians refuse to act. Compassion acts. Or its words are worthless. Folks, if we don't have compassion, we make the Word of God worthless in the eyes of the world. Listen to me, rhetoric changes nothing. Dear God, I hope November, I wish I knew the day, whatever election day is, I wish it would get here and get passed. Okay? Because rhetoric, which is what we're hearing, is not going to solve any of the problems we have. It's compassion. Compassion is what creates a plan, not rhetoric. In Mark chapter 8, there was a gigantic, a large crowd following Jesus. And they've been following for three days. You know the story. They were hanging on His every word. And the reason they were doing it is because they were so hungry spiritually. They'd never heard teaching like he was teaching. They'd never seen anybody with the authority he had. But what happened is they were, as they were pursuing him with, with that hunger spiritually, something happened to them physically. None of them brought enough food. And they were a long way from their homes, and so they began to get hungry. And Jesus saw what was happening. And he says this in Mark chapter 8, verse 2 through 3. He says, I feel compassion. He's talking to his disciples. I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me for three days and they don't have anything to eat. I mean, I'm just going to say this because I know how preachers are. Man, that would have been the moment most preachers would give the altar call and, and done their thing. That's not what Jesus did. He solved the physical needs. He stepped in there and said, they're starving to death. They haven't eaten in three days. If I send them away, home, if I send them home away, hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some have come from a great distance. Jesus was concerned not just with their spiritual needs, but their physical needs, folks. Unless we as the body of Christ are willing to meet both. In other words, if we don't see them as one and the same, let me put it that way. We can't meet their spiritual needs. If you have a man that's hungry, he can't hear you until he has something to eat. If you have somebody that's thirsty, they can't hear you until they have something to drink. That's just reality. If somebody is hurting, they can't hear you unless you help alleviate the pain and put them into a position where they can hear. Jesus saw their needs. He saw their physical conditions. You can't divorce spiritual and physical. You can't divorce them from the other. He realized that the situation was ripe for a miracle. And that miracle would defy all explanation. Okay? He, he, he realized it. So he didn't ask for what they didn't have. He didn't ask for what they didn't possess. All he asked for was what they had. You remember what he asked for? See if anybody has anything. They go out and search the crowd, and there's one person. 
I mean, I, I guarantee they had to prize it out of his little hands. I've heard all the stories of how he offered it to the Lord, and it sounds really good. But man, if I got two little pieces of bread and three or four fish, and that's all I got to get home on, I'm not really wanting to share it with anybody, okay? But they found it, and he gave it to them. And, and they bring that little bit. Folks, that's how we see ourselves. God, I don't have anything. I'm just a little bit. How can I, how can I take care of all these people? How can I? This problem is so gigantic. God, even our government doesn't know what to do. Lord, this, this problem is, is so huge that, that the leaders of the world, they don't know what to do. See, Jesus is not asking us for something we don't have. He's not asking us to do something we can't do. He's asking us for what we've got. And so they bring what they got. And Jesus blesses it and divides it. And Scripture says 4,000 people ate all they wanted and there was plenty for to-go boxes to accompany them home. That's what the text says. There was more than enough. He had compassion for the need he saw and what he felt inside forced him to move. And he gave God what he had and God multiplied it. There was a willing vessel, and God used it. In Mark chapter 1, verse 40, there's a, there's a man who's a leper. And, and if, if you don't know anything about leprosy, it, it covered a lot of different skin diseases. But very likely, this was a man who, who had the form of leprosy where his fingers fell off, his ears fell off. It was terrible. Okay, And he, he is forced to live his life in the shadows. He's forced to not be able to come in contact with, with people because he's unclean. And if you touch him, you then become unclean. And there's great fear. There's great fear about lepers. And this leper sprints to the feet of Jesus. He falls down on his knees. And he begins to beg, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. If you're willing, you can make me clean. If you're willing, you can make me clean. The leper doesn't say, Lord, if you can. He says, if you're willing. See, God's not asking us if we can. He's asking us, are we willing? Are we willing? I want you to listen to the words of Jesus in, in Mark chapter 1, verse 41 and 42. It says, moved with compassion. Jesus couldn't have cared less what disease this guy had. He couldn't have cared less what the religious folks thought. And listen to me, they were bird-dogging him every step he went. And they had their little notepad out, and they were jotting down notes so they could use against him. He couldn't have cared less. He didn't care what his disciples thought. He was moved with compassion. It says, he was moved with compassion, and he stretched out his hand, and he touched him. When he touched him, I will guarantee you all the air sucked out of the room. Because Jesus had just done the unthinkable thing. He had touched a leper. I love what it says at the end of this verse. 
And he said to him, I'm willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. See, compassion creates an atmosphere pregnant with miraculous possibilities. Jesus saw the man. He saw the crippling effects of what that disease had done to him. He saw the man's helplessness. He saw his hopelessness. And he had the compassion, and it drove him to act. Jesus touched him. And that touched was what God used to heal him. Clean touched unclean, and both were made clean. Clean didn't touch unclean, and unclean made Jesus unclean. No. His cleanliness just flowed out, and it changed that man's life. And it produced a healing, and you can check your Bibles, that had not taken place in Israel since the days of the Exodus. In fact, when Miriam is clean, they're not in Israel. So there had never been a Jew healed of leprosy. You say, well, what about Naaman? Naaman was not a Jew. Naaman was a foreign. He was a pagan. So all of a sudden, there's a miracle that takes place that's never taken place before. And it's a miracle that happened because it was fueled by compassion. It was fueled by that deep sense of sympathy and sorrow for a man's helpless and hopeless condition. And, and because it was fueled by that, there was a desire for something to change. And Jesus acted. He reached out. He touched the man. He commanded the leprosy to go. Matthew 20, there are two blind men. And they're crying for mercy. They're crying for compassion. They're crying for healing. And they just wouldn't shut up. Everybody's telling, hey, shut up. Be quiet. In other words, we don't want to listen to you and your problem. We don't, you don't exist to us. So be quiet. See, they could turn their heads. They could, they could stand with their arms folded and not see the misery that those two men were in. Society wanted to hush them. And to hide them by making them invisible. Folks, when we refuse to have compassion, we make the misery and the suffering invisible to our society. Although it's not. But that's what we do when we don't pay attention and we don't act. But Jesus saw them. He heard them. Listen to what happens next. It says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 34, that He was moved with compassion. And Jesus touched their eyes and immediately they regained their sight and they followed Him. All of a sudden, there's, there's another miracle that's fueled by compassion. Blindness becomes sight times two. There's not just two eyes there, there's four eyes. He heals four eyes. As Jesus enters the city of Nain, and he, he's traveling, and there's a huge entourage following Him, and there's a large crowd on top of that following Him. They come in contact they hit an intersection, and there's a funeral possession coming out of the city. Now, they did what, what most good people would do. They pulled their procession off to the side to let the funeral possession come through. But you know what? Jesus could have stepped aside. He could have took a seat. He could have rested in the shade for a few minutes. Or he could have taken another route and went to another small town. 
He didn't have to listen to the, to the wailing that was accompanying this, this funeral possession. He didn't have to listen to the, the mother who had lost her son and now had no one to take care of her. She's not just wailing and, and, and crying because she's lost her son. She's lost everything. She's lost her hope for the future. So the wails are, are real and they're loud. You know, Jesus didn't do this. Until they'd passed by. Instead, folks, he walked up to the casket. Up to the the bear that they were carrying him on. In Luke chapter 6, verse 13, it says this. And when the Lord saw her, when he saw the mother, when he looked at her. Here she is. I, I don't know if she's tall, short. I don't know what, but I know this, she's dressed in black. And there are sounds that are coming out of her body that make your skin crawl. You ever heard anybody wail? I mean, some of you have. Some of you have probably wailed before. You don't ever forget it. Your skin gets, it gets those little chill bumps on it. Your blood kind of gets thick. It, it 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 just makes you do this. I mean, it, it's just, it just is heartrending. Jesus said when he saw her, when he when he heard these things, he felt compassion for her, and he said to her, "Don't weep. Do not weep." And then he came up and he touched the coffin. And the bearers came to a halt. And Jesus said, "Young man, I say to you, arise." And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. He was moved with compassion. Listen, death was not something that didn't take place in the first century. It was all around the people. And yet Jesus sees this woman and he feels compassion. And he raises this man from the dead. He reaches through a door that we can't pass back through. And he pulls this man back. And he gives her to his mother. And that funeral breaks into a party. I mean, they go nuts. First John chapter two verse six. We've we've looked at this passage over and over. It makes a demand on us. This is the one who says he abides or she abides in him. In who? In Jesus. The one who says he abides in Jesus ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Jesus walked in compassion, folks. He ministered in compassion. He saw people through the eyes of compassion. He refused to close his eyes to the, to the plight of the people that were around him. He refused to consider what he didn't have or what he couldn't do. Instead, he chose to trust God for what God would provide in that situation. The compassion of his heart flowed through the actions of his hand. If you want to see what God's heart looks like, look where Jesus puts his hand in the Gospels. Look what Jesus does with his hands in the Gospel. We're familiar with this picture. 
This picture has been emblazoned on. That's the compassion of Jesus for us. Okay? It, it, it's, the, it's the most compassionate place where his hands end up. But folks, there are many, many other places where Jesus touches this one. He puts his hand on this one. He, he takes this one and lifts them up. His hands, the actions of God's hearts are being worked out in the hands of Jesus. He, refu- he refuses to limit or to be limited by the perceived lack or the perception or the narrow-minded bias and judgments of other people. You can't help them. Why are you praying for them to get well? You can't help them. Your, your, your dollar's not going to help that guy. How do they know? How do they know what God will do with that prayer or with that dollar? How do they know? God's just looking for a compassionate heart so that, that he can use their hands. Folks, Jesus didn't allow fear to control him. Instead, he followed his heart. Or maybe I should put it this way. He followed God's heart. He followed the compassionate heart of God. I love what Psalms 145, verse 8 and 9 says. And this comes out of the New Living Translation. It says, the Lord is kind and he's merciful. He's slow to get angry. He's full of unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He shows compassion on all His creation. Folks, for too long, we as the church have been harsh and we've been mean and we've been fast to condemn and quick to execute and filled with judgment. Okay? You say, well, that's not the church. Ask most people who don't attend the church and you'll get that answer. We've been hateful. We've been vindictive on anybody who messes up or who doesn't conform to our specific beliefs or, or whatever. And what happens is instead of being compassionate, we've showered venom on them. Listen, too often the church mirrors the fearful viewpoints of the world. Or maybe that's not correct. Maybe the world mirrors the fearful viewpoints of the church. Maybe it's not the world. Listen to me, it's not. The the, the problems we have today is not because of the world, it's because the church has not done what Jesus did. Jesus was not driven by fear, okay? He was moved by compassion. Jesus was not average, okay? I understand that. But good gracious, I don't want to be average either. Anybody that wants to be average has no desire to be anything. You can be average and do nothing, Because that's what the average person does, is nothing. They don't change anything. They don't do anything. God has called us to be normal, like Jesus. And anything less than like Jesus is abnormal. It may be average, but it's not normal. So why should we not walk like Jesus walked? Why should compassion not move us to act? Listen, I'm not here to 
to, to bring guilt and condemnation. Y'all know me better than that. I, I, that's not, I don't like that stick. I don't use that stick. What I'm appealing to this morning is for us to let go of our fear. Just, just God has not given us a spirit of fear. Right out of Timothy there. Perfect love, perfected love, which is what God gives us through Jesus Christ, casts out all fear. What do we have to be afraid of? If God is for us, Romans chapter 8, who can be against us? There's one person who believes that. Let me say that again. If God is for us, who can be against us? If he says, let it be, it will be. He's just looking for people with a few bread, a loaf of bread and three or four minutes. Okay, that's all he wants. Who are willing to say, here, Lord, take, I don't have anything, but I got two hands and I got two eyes. I can look around and I can see what you see. And then if you'll give me the provisions I need, I'll do the best I can to alleviate that situation as much as you want to alleviate it. So we just have to be willing, folks. Or we can be like everybody else and we can be afraid of everything and we can dig us a bunker and we can pack the food in and make sure we got plenty of ammunition. But here's the reality. If you live long enough, your food will run out and so will your bullets. Okay? You only have to be a better shot than the person that's shooting at you. Okay? It's like the antelope and the line. All the antelope has to do is outrun that line. Okay? But the line doesn't have to worry because sooner or later he'll find an antelope he can catch. And age has a way of slowing you down. Okay? So sooner or later the line catches all the antelopes because they live with a survival instinct. Folks, we don't have to survive. God created us to thrive. Whether we're in a desert or we're in a place with plenty, He's created us to thrive. And all we have to do, folks, is live out compassion. See a need. What can I do about it? Do what I can and go on. If you'll do what you can, God will bring somebody else who can do what they can and somebody else who bring do what they can and pretty soon the need is solved. And there will be more than one responsible for it. But we have to open our eyes. We have to see the situation. We have to hear what God is saying. And folks, we cannot be guided by fear. Jesus walked in compassion. And that compassion changed the world. Jesus didn't die on a cross because He thought it would be cool. Okay? He didn't die on a cross so that three centuries later there would be crosses on top of buildings and people would be gathered in buildings to sing Kumbaya. 
He died so that people who were lost could be saved because he had compassion for their helplessness and their hopelessness. And the only way he could solve that problem was to give his life for them, to take their place. That's why we're here. Because we understand that and we want to tell everybody else who hasn't got it yet. We're not here to meet and see what big crowd we can get. We're here to get, to get pumped up a little bit and get encouraged by what's going on in one another's life to worship the God who is, who is worthy to be praised and to go from here to be compassionate examples and compassionate models of who Jesus is. We're, we're to be Jesus when we leave here. Folks, that's the goal of being normal. It's to become like Jesus. So we have a choice this morning. Okay? I can't make it for you. You can't make it for me. We either believe what Jesus said and do what He tells us to do, or we don't. That's, that's about cut and dried as I can be. We either force ourselves to look at the situations we encounter or we don't. You know what the, 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 the germ of the story of the Good Samaritan is? Compassion. Those without compassion walked by and turned their heads. The one with compassion stopped. Did what he could and went on. Jesus just tells it in such a way that it made everybody who heard it mad because none of them were Samaritans. All the Jews went on the other side of the road. All the religious people went on the other side of the road. Folks, we live in a world today where most of the problems today are being solved by people who don't know Jesus. That's not the way it has been throughout the history of the world. You know why we have hospitals today? Compassion in people who are Christians. You know why we have nurseries, I mean, uh, 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 orphanages today? Compassion in the heart of people. You know why we have schools today? Compassion in Christian people's lives. Most compassion is what has helped the church step into the place where Jesus wanted us to be in the first place. It's our responsibility as this generation to not just tell our kids about it, but to show them what compassion looks like so that when they are faced with it, if the Lord should tarry in their generation, they'll know what to do. God is calling us to become compassionate again. He wants to chip away the hardness and the coldness from our hearts. And He may want us to look at some things we've not looked at in a long, long time. Jesus was compassionate. He was normal. I'm going to say this this morning. If if there's not much compassion in you this morning, then you're not normal. You may be average, but you're not normal. Let's pray. Lord, sometimes your word. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at 
facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.